politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight and focus on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. Prepare to ride that ship because no one else is doing that, but we will do it all day, every day here at CR Podcast. Daniel Hurwitz back here today for January 25th. It is Wednesday, and boy, do I have a lot to talk about. I'm indignant. I'm pissed off. I'm really upset. It bothers me that we're living through a genocide, and it's like, it's it's not issue number one, issue number two, issue number five, issue number ten. The top two things that we lived through were COVID fascism and January 6th. Let me just break it down to its molecular form. Why? Because those two issues embody everything that's going on. COVID fascism was the fact that government could declare at any moment that you, your existence is a health threat to someone, and therefore that engenders and could unleash an uninhibited warfare against humanity where we could produce any experiment Produce, and it's not really experiment. They knew exactly what it was going to do. Commit genocide. Force ourselves on your body, on your breathing, in order to live, in order to access public accommodation, block medical care. We could do that. The elites did it. And then what the elites do is they create a culture where that art of uninhibited warfare percolates down to the average citizen. So the citizens start doing it to each other and enforcing it against each other. Meaning, and, and, and do it in a way that violates all humanity, all legal norms, all social norms. That's what we saw in COVID. January 6th paralleled that. That was the notion that we could create an event to criminalize your political beliefs, your freedom of speech, your views. And we could bust up all legal norms, all human rights based upon that. And this is what we face now with a thousand more indictments coming down the pipeline for January 6th of people that literally did nothing wrong. They just went to a protest and exercised their sacred right to assembly, right to free speech, that is being criminalized. And with that has nothing to do with January 6th alone, just like COVID is not just about this technical virus, it's about all viruses, but not just about viruses, all, it's about all pharma, therapeutics, vaccines, bio-surveillance, bioterrorism, transhumanism. But ultimately, they're both about a war on humanity. It's not like socialism. Republicans are talking about social. I, I wish we'd be socialist. I wish that would be the extent of the problems we face. It's humanity. They are denuding our ability to live. So today I'm mainly going to focus on the second one, the latest on January 6th. And and again, how, how it percolates down to hu- humanity. It's like we used to all believe, look, I hate you, but I love the right that you have to say what, what I hate because we all believed in First Amendment. Now it's like, no, you don't have the right to believe that. You should be thrown in jail. Um, You know, you could loot and burn down police stations, throw rocks at police 
men, but you're doing it for the right purposes, so you shouldn't go to jail. But even if you uh, engage in nonviolence at a protest, but it's under the guise of a view we don't like, yeah, of course, you're a Nazi. You deserve to be thrown in jail. You should be lucky you don't get the death penalty. That's the mentality of half the country. Just like half the country felt you should be put to death if you don't get a shot or wear a mask. So we'll have Julie coming up, um, and I want to focus mainly on this. But just first, you know, there's tons on COVID. We'll get to a little bit more tomorrow, but I I just want to share with you just how pained I am by the lack of a movement we have behind this. Now, I will tell you, I'm meeting with staff that will be involved with the pandemic subcommittee and an oversight. Not a very good roster. A lot of rhinos that don't get this issue. The best ones we probably have are, are Cloud and Ronnie Jackson, two guys from Texas. Um, and MTG, you know, she is still good on that issue. Some other questions about whether she'll be willing to go after warp speed because of her relationship with Trump. But aside from them, they're all rhinos. But it's like, j- just to cut to the chase, Michigan State University published a study in BMC Infectious Diseases Journal. And they, they did a survey, and then they extrapolated the results by state and, and overlaid it against the VAERS numbers by state. And they came up with a formula to extrapolate the number we've been trying to work with, how many people died from the vaccine so far. Well, this was done December 20th, 2021. So it was just the first year of the vaccine. And do you know what their number was? First of all, 22% know someone with a severe reaction. 13% attest to having a strong injury themselves. Massive, massive number. They extrapolate roughly 280,000 vaccine deaths in the United States. That's about where we had it if you go back to December 2021. So if you extrapolate, that that works perfectly with ethical skeptics estimates that jive with many other ways we we tried to figure this out based on different uh, underreporting factors and you know studies that it's it's probably upwards of 450,000 but that tracks with it that they they believe there were 280,000 by December 2021 but i don't want to get bogged down in numbers the fact that we're talking about that it's obvious hundreds of thousands of people died from something So, really, this entire technology should be taken off the table. We should have trialsandexecution.com. By the way, the book coming out soon. Your patient wait. I really appreciate it. It's coming to an end February 14th. You'll get your book in the mail if you ordered it on Amazon, Rise of the Fourth Reich. But all of this technology should be banned. Everything in the pipeline should be suspended. Everyone needs to be punished. All this. No, that's not even on the table. All right, well, at least the COVID shots. Should be taken off the table. They killed hundreds of them. No. We can't even get a watered-down version of just banning mandates in the reddest states. I'm trying. I'm going to continue to try, but I'm just telling you. We're struggling. So let me give you... I I, I have tons to say. I'm just... Because I want to get to January 6th stuff. So I'm just going to give one, one anecdote here. One point. But... South Dakota, 
Again, there's barely any Democrats left in the chamber. Barely any Democrats. And the good news is, this guy Jensen, um, Representative Jensen, introduced my resolution, my proposed constitutional amendment. H.J. Res 5003, South Dakota. Just Google South Dakota 2023, H.J. Res 5003. And you could see the language. And the language is, you know, pretty, pretty much what I proposed, that, you know, n n everyone has a right to refuse any injection, medical treatment, therapeutic procedure, vaccine prophylactic, and cannot be discriminated against in the realm of public accommodation based on exercising that right. The, in, in a deep red state, after everything we've gone through, you would think this, this would be a no-brainer. Okay? A no-brainer. Mind you, this doesn't even ban pro all private mandates. That we need to do in statute. I wouldn't put that in the Constitution. Okay, so in the Constitution, this is just the government can't do it, nor public accommodation. So that could rope in private, but like hospitals, things like that. Okay. I mean, you would think we could all agree on that. So Jensen himself is not on the committee. This is the Committee on State Affairs. You can look it up. Look up the roster, give them all a call, and give them hell for what they did. So just look up South Dakota House State Affairs Committee, and just make sure you get the 2023 roster. It might come up like last session. It just changed over, so just be careful with there that you have the right members. And they did it lightning speed, no testimony. They just brought it as a vote, so we couldn't mobilize Republicans have an 11 to 2 majority on the committee. 11 Republicans. We just got one vote in favor of it. My buddy John Hansen, friend of mine, he voted for it. He was actually going to originally introduce it, but they voted to kill it. One vote. This is not to even, I mean, you would think it's a no-brainer. We should take it off the market. No, it's not what it did. Just simply, you have a right to refuse medical treatment. We can't even get that enshrined. And there's all these like things of they're worried about overkill and like unintended consequences. What if this happens? How do you go through a holocaust like this? You, you're crashing into the left guardrail. You're in the left guardrail. You're bleeding out. But I don't want to do anything because I'm scared of hypothetically crashing into the right guardrail. When in history do I ever, ever do that? If we ever correct too much in favor of individual rights over public health, Believe me, they'll have the lobbyists and the support to immediately rectify that if that event occurs. And the answer is because they don't appreciate what has happened to us. Anyone saying this, oh, well, maybe we'll be handcuffed in the future. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. It's disgusting. It's utterly disgusting that I have to fight and to the extent this is even being put, it's because on, on, the, on the schedules, because of efforts of, my, of myself and some of you guys helping, there is literally no conservative movement. It doesn't exist on the issues that matter most in the way they matter at the time they matter. All the legacy issues. You can go F yourself if you're going to tell me you're pro-life and all you talk about is abortion, but you won't touch this issue. This is forced abortion. It's confirmed it kills people. Do you know that the most Republican elected officials are now to the left of Bill Gates? 
Bill Gates is even saying, this is, this is, yeah, it's, it's, the shots are no good. Now, he's doing that because he wants to make sure that he saves the broader 15, 30 more mRNAs that he has in the pipeline. So he's going to try to say, yeah, yeah, it's a COVID problem, a COVID problem. But the point is, even, even he's like, yeah, this is done. And yet, Republicans in supermajority legislatures, much less dirtbag governors like Christy Nome, will not even get on board with ending the mandates much less taking it off the market. Even as Bill Gates said, it's a failed shot. This is where we are in conservative politics. Anyway, our sponsor today, as I give you, really the only one, giving you a 2020 vision on politics, fix your vision today with Better Spectacles, America's only conservative eyewear company, Look, if, you, if you're nearsighted or farsighted like me, progressive glasses are giving you trouble. There is only one place to go for, for a place that has the most up-to-date technology that works to give you the sharpest vision and shares your values. So they import Rodenstock uh, eyewear, which is Rodenstock frames are really the gold standard of the industry. Their biometric intelligence glasses are big, give you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision. I think smarter when I have my Rodenstock frames. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment today. You don't even have to leave your home. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with biometrical intelligence glasses. 61% off they're offering on their progressive eyewear plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Change the world by changing your eyesight today. So as, as an introduction to, to Julie and her latest updates on January 6th, so you might have heard there was a verdict in the Richard Barnett trial. So he was convicted on all eight accounts, four misdemeanors, four felonies, he never committed a violent act. He was pushed into the Capitol originally. Then he was caught with his feet up on Pelosi's de desk. He is facing 20 years in prison, potentially, at his May sentencing. The jury, two-week trial, they came back within an hour of deliberations. All eight counts. Literally, I, I'm not going to go through each one. It's not worth it. But the one I'm going to focus on, we talked about before, is 231A3, 18 U.S.C. 231A3, where it's the most vague thing that you anyone who's basically at a protest obstructing in any way a police officer during a civil disorder. So the, the problem with that statute is that the only way you can make that work constitutionally is if you say it's you you committed a a violent act because otherwise the problem is literally he was literally chatting with police gesticulating um at police if you say during a protest where anyone creates some disorder even if you didn't do it yourself and you're just you're distracting them you're obstructing them that's a felony not a misdemeanor a felony so, in 1976, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, U.S. v. Casper, established a sensible standard that it has to be 
you know, the defendant attempted to commit an act for the intended purpose of obstructing, impeding, interfering, yada, yada, either by himself or someone else, in a violent manner with such law enforcement officer or officers. That's the standard they, they have read, and it's been applied in every single case, including, of course, BLM, in the last 50 years. So the attorneys filed a motion to dismiss twice on this point. Like, like dude, it, it doesn't get off the ground. You can't, based on the facts that everyone agrees upon, you can't, you can't charge the guy with it. And you can't give uh, jury instructions based on this because it, it's just not the standard. So I, I want to I bring, it's a little bit of a deep point. It's in the weeds, but you'll, you'll like it. To bring out the point of what the Fourth Reich is. The judge came back, Christopher Cooper, dirtbag, Obama pointy, and he said, no, 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 no. I found a case. I found one case, one case, where we did apply it. 231A3 to a nonviolent act. And it was the case from 1971, pre-all this precedent that was set. It's like going back to Plessy v. Ferguson. One case, famous, famous Vietnam War protester Abby Hoffman, she was charged with 231A3 for erecting a barricade to obstruct police at the 1971 May Day protest. Very famous. Now, mind you, erecting a barrier is, you know, it's not violent, but it's a much stronger obstruction than anything uh, Barnett was accused of doing. Literally didn't do any of that. Literally didn't do that. You could say the stuff in the Capitol, whatever, their misdemeanor is fine, and you could charge them on that. But in terms of the 231A3, it, it just makes no sense. It's literally criminalizing the speech. And and by the way, indeed, during the, um, the trial... An F- FBI agent used – there's a picture of it, a banner he has in his driveway at home in Arkansas, F the police uh, – um, F-, F Biden. That's now a crime. That's literally – I mean it's it, – that's what's being used, your political views, okay? Meaning even though – and not I'm talking about not statements like I, I want to destroy the government. I want to overthrow the – no, no, just just – they support Trump. They support, you know, they're upset about the election. Just the issue, that's now pretext for convicting someone, for holding people pretrial, for severity of punishment. Okay. But go back to this May Day protest. They're saying we have one example. Now, that in itself is egregious, that you're going to go back to pre-accepted standard to find that. But the lawyer, brilliant, and this was the work of Jonathan Gross, who was one of the attorneys here. In this very courthouse, this D.C. federal courthouse on Constitution Avenue, okay, this very courthouse, on exhibit, they have an exhibit of all their accomplishments and what the court has stood for, in the corridor on the way to the lunchroom. And there's an exhibit that states the May Day protesters, 1971 to 1981. To show their disagreement with the war effort in Vietnam, thousands of protesters filled the streets between April 22nd and May 6th, 1971. The police arrested over 14,000 persons, typically on charges of disorderly conduct. The government held more than 1,500 of these protesters at the Washington Coliseum. 
of those charged, 871 proceeded to full trial on the merits. The Court of Appeals eventually ordered the district court, meaning in D.C., to enjoin prosecutions not supported by specific evidence the vast majority of cases. The district court later ordered that the arrest of records of thousands of protesters be expunged. In 1976, class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of 1,200 arrest, arrested protesters against former AG John Mitchell and other people alleging that the officials violated their First Amendment rights. So literally, this very thing they celebrate, how the court was at the forefront of restoring First Amendment rights, that you can't grab people based on it, just kind of like either, you know, something that's very political it's, it's a contentious issue in the country. They're protesting, and they really didn't commit violent acts. And mind you, there was much more disorderly conduct, like we see building a bar- barricade, than what at least Barnett and most others are accused of doing. And they, you know, vacated them. They had a class action suit against the government, and they expunged their records. And now this bastard judge in the very same court that he passes this exhibit every freaking day uses one of those cases to say, no, no, you see, we have precedent. We charge you for this. What this lesson shows is the Fourth Reich. It's not hypocrisy. This is their, their system. That they believe, if, if you add, and, 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 and Gross challenged him, and he summarily dismissed it without even dealing with it. Orally. He smiled at him when he brought this up in court. Imagine that you bring up in court, hey, check your exhibit. And he literally uses that case the opposite. Because in their mind, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. Yeah, the Vietnam protesters were right. You guys are wrong in your political beliefs, so therefore we're going to charge you on it. There's no equality under the law. And, they're, and they have a clean conscience. And my point is, it's not just the dirtbag judge, but the jury... It has percolated down to the people. Yeah, you're a Nazi. So evidence, it doesn't matter. They'll give you the death penalty if you're at the Capitol. It, it doesn't matter. That's how the people are. This is the Fourth Reich. They will turn on and off that faucet as needed. We'll go from one end of the spectrum to another. Just like, it's like, you have a right to kill a baby even after it's born but you don't have the right to bodily autonomy to the extent to just refuse medical procedure. Same thing here. If you're doing it for the right purposes, you could loot, burn, beat, kill, maim, destroy. But if it's the wrong purposes, you can't even just have a peaceful protest. Or maybe you did the most minor misdemeanor. We lock you up for 20 years. To, to bring out this point further, I was wondering all along, I've been trying to figure out who got the most severe punishment for BLM? All the rioting, all the things. What is the most severe punishment meted out? Even the one that burned down the police station, 3rd Precinct in Minneapolis, to the ground, got like three years. And he wasn't held pre-trial, by the way. Criminal record doesn't matter. And I think, I can't say this for sure, but the most I found was 10 years. Again, Barnett put his feet up on the desk in the Capitol, did nothing violent, facing 20 years potentially. What did this guy, is Montez Terrell Lee, Montez Terrell Lee, Rochester, Minnesota, May 28th, 2020, so one of the first days of riding. 
he burned a pawn shop to the ground and killed a person in it. This video of him pouring gasoline, lighting it, saying we're going to effing burn the place down, straight up, no, you know, no ambiguity. He has a criminal record prior to that. So it's not just like, oh, he got caught up in the passion of the protest. He's really a good guy. Like all these January 6th people that never did anything. A lot of them are military veterans. No, no record. This guy beat his girlfriend so much. She, um, he, she uh, had a ruptured eardrum, uh, theft, burglary, violence, career criminal just by the age of 26. The guidelines for this, the sentencing guidelines, would have put him at 20 years. 20 years. The Justice Department, through the U.S. Attorney for Minnesota, intervened with a sentencing memorandum asking for only 10 years. And indeed, the judge agreed, only 10 years. Because Lee, quote, does not appear to pose a danger to the public. That's what they said, despite his record and what he did. Senator Cotton raised a protest and wrote a letter to Garland about it at the time. Um, basically, they go on to say that, look, he did it for a good cause. It was BLM. This is awesome. Think about that. They will intervene to make sure that they get less time. Killing someone, burning to the ground, career violent criminal. Folks, but, but again, I, I want to make that clear. That mentality is not just the Biden Justice Department, the Obama-appointed judges, the legal profession, the media. That's half the public. Those who vote for those people, they believe that. They have no problem saying, yeah, well, it's BLM, of course, you know. You know, we're going to... Yeah, I mean, so what if he murdered someone? But, it, but you know, it's the right cause. Whereas they'll go, I mean, j- just look at Atlanta. What's his name? Andy No is going through these cases. He has a lot of good reporting on Twitter. Graham Patrick Evett, he's a Antifa guy, 20-year-old. He um, posted support of the deceased terrorist gunman from his Twitter account. He posted support for this, and he was still let. He still was able to post cash bail. Yet they use statements of people quoting Jefferson, and just broadly never supporting violence, to hold them pretrial for for more than a year. And the juries are fine with this; they believe it. This is this is what they believe. This is the Fourth Reich. This is why you cannot. Share a country with these people. This is why I firmly believe we need a national divorce. It's whatever the spirit spirit of age is. Law, equality, it doesn't matter. It's what is your politics? What's the underlying politics? If it's against my politics, I'll I'll give you the death penalty for nothing or disorderly conduct. If it's in pursuit of my goals... You can beat, rob, murder, throw bricks at police. Nothing matters. So I just wanted you to know that we were hoping, okay, maybe once the evidence comes out, and this is where we're going to talk with Julie about some of the emerging evidence. Okay, fine, the DOJ does this, but now you get a trial. They're going to be acquitted or at least just you know not charged on that level that they're going to face 20 years. Nope. 
Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So obviously, Julie Kelly does not need much of an introduction to you guys. Uh, she's almost a punchline in itself. Uh, kind of what we have done here on Medical Freedom COVID Fascism. She's done on J6, as, as we've said from the onset. The two are really on par with both reflecting the spirit of the time, but also inducing it and demonstrating an uninhibited warfare on our beliefs, our existence, um, unrestricted, both at the elite level, but again now trickling down to the average person. If they don't share your values, it's no longer, all right, well, I disagree with you, but we're going to follow the law. No, no, you deserve to die. You deserve anything to happen to you because of your political beliefs. But a lot has come out on this new on on the evidence front. So we're going to have to do as best as we can to try this or reverse try it in the court of public opinion. And also remember, we have that new subcommittee in judiciary to deal with this. What sort of oversight do we need? What sort of information do we need? So obviously, Julia has this covered at American Greatness. She has you know columns every week, every few days. Take a look at the last few. We're not going to have the time to get to all of them, but we'll get to some of it. Hey, Julie, thanks so much for joining us once again here at CR Podcast. Always happy to be with you. Daniel, thanks for inviting me on again. Well, I know you're in high demand because uh, there's few people doing this. So I want to start off with um, what – What's some of the newest compelling evidence that really is exculpatory to this entire narrative that somehow this was a pre-planned, violent attack when in reality it was almost the opposite? Talk about some of the news that has come out, both from videos that has surfaced and maybe some of the evidence of the Barnett trial and some of the other trials ongoing. Sure. So what we have happening now, Daniel, is uh, the trials have been underway now for about 10 months in Washington, D.C. The DOJ can proudly boast about a 99.6% conviction rate. You have uh, juries made up of residents of a city, the most highly partisan Democrat city in the country, quickly returning all guilty verdicts on every single count for nearly every single defendant. Um, so that's what these J6ers are up against. But at the same time, you have very um, revealing evidence that's coming out. And that's what's been happening in the Richard Barnett trial, the man who was famously photographed with his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. What um, the government was forced to produce was full body-worn camera footage from D.C. police officers who were either encountered Richard Barnett or somehow uh, involved uh, in some close proximity to his case. So what I've been reporting on for the past week is body cam footage from two officers that in large part contradict, no surprise, the mainstream narrative, the Democrats' narrative, the regime narrative uh, of what happened that day. And so um, I think it's important to cover those, and I would direct people to watch some or all of it, because it's pretty uh, shocking if you're believing what you've been told about that day. So in, until now, we, you and I have talked a lot about one half of this, which is, you know, what was the FBI's role? What did they know and when did they know it? And, and kind of juxtaposing to the Whitner, Whitmer kidnapping that a lot of this was an agent provocateur situation. But 
what I'm trying to figure is how does this square conflict supplement or complement with the other emerging narrative that, again, you, you knew this a long time ago, but emerging from the videos that forget about the FBI and how many FBI were there, but just from the Capitol Police standpoint, that there were so many mistakes done by them that might have catalyzed a lot of the tragedy in itself. Um, could you describe that, some of the just the, the gas attacks and different things like that that seem to be the determining factors that precipitated what you know started out as just like any other conservative protest, which is never violent, to becoming somewhat violent. Right. So um, it's important to again remind people that there were requests, especially by the chief of the Capitol Police Force, days before January six for extra help. He asked the Capitol Police Board, which is made up of the Sergeant-in-Arms for Nancy Pelosi, the Sergeant-in-Arms for Mitch McConnell, um, and the architects of the Capitol, asking them for more help, more National Guardsmen. Stephen Sund, who was the police chief, delayed, uh, it was intentionally slow-walked by these security officials as late as mid-afternoon on January 6th. So you have the people primarily responsible for protecting the Capitol. By the way, it wasn't Donald Trump. It's not his job to make sure the Capitol building, the surrounding buildings and the Capitol grounds are protected. That falls to Capitol Police. And as I said, these two sergeant at arms. So um, the building and the grounds were left intentionally vulnerable. That in itself is a huge question mm. that the January 6th Select Committee, by the way, never addresses. It's basically buried in an appendix in this 845-page report. Furthermore, people who were there tell me they had never seen such a lax, almost invisible police presence in Washington that day. Some people had been to the rallies in November and December. There was heavy police presence, of course, because Antifa and BLM had been trying to burn down the city and attack Trump supporters for six months in 2020. Mm -hmm. But they were, it was notable that there was basically no police presence um, and so they left the Capitol intentionally insecure. One of the biggest unreported stories, too, is how police, D.C. Metro and Capitol Police, started assaulting the crowd, standing outside with what they called non-lethal munitions. This was, of course, copious amounts of tear gas, chemical gas, but also flashbangs, which are like a stun grenade. Um, sting balls used by DC Metro, which deployed rubber bullets, which shot people. And you could see blood on the ground from people being injured um, and other devices like that, uh, that really, really shocked the crowd outside. Um, yes. They didn't really understand why police were attacking them. Furthermore, Daniel, as you watch the video, you can tell you have a combination of hotheads and a combination of cops who have no clue what they're doing with these munitions. One Capitol Police official testified in a separate trial that it was the first time in Capitol Police history that they were instructed to use these munitions against American citizens. Yep. These weren't used on people inside the building. They weren't used on people trying to get inside the building. You can clearly see, and we have officers also testifying, confirming this, that people were largely, um, you know, respecting the exterior barriers. Yes. But as they continued to see police for over an hour 
attack people, beat them, gas them. Two men died of heart attacks. And this was before Ashley Babbitt was shot at 244. Two men died of heart attacks, very likely due to being hit with these stun grenades, which Roseanne are not Boyland. supposed to be thrown. Roseanne Boyland, right? Well, no. These are two other men, Kevin Greeson and Benjamin Phillips. They suffered fatal heart attacks around 2 o'clock between 2 and 2.30 that day mm. because they, they, witnesses around and even first responders have said, because these munitions are so loud, they disable people. They, disable they can't people. see, they can't hear. And they believe that these two men died as a result of the use of these, what they call non-lethal munitions. So this really riled up the crowd. What my video <clears throat> in my article yesterday shows, Daniel, is that a police, D.C. Metro police officer, uh, Rich Cowrie, he fires a 40-millimeter canister of chemical gas, it misfires, and he instead disables and basically injures and poisons his own officers. You see them and all they throwing up. All the officers yes. are throwing up, and they're sick and everything. And I, I don't know if that was the guy, the hot dog. There was one that was bragging, take a picture of me. He, he had that, that cool gun. Um I'm not sure if that one was public yet. That's something I saw when they shot at the scaffold. But this was on the Western Terrace, right? Correct. And that's where most so of the violence the, was. Exactly, right. And you can see as you're watching two separate, uh, you see Officer Tao's um, body cam footage, which I have up now. Then I have body cam footage from another officer, Terrence Craig, uh, that was posted last week. And you can see how they handle these people. You can see how aggressive they are. Um, and th this is just two body cam footages that we have, in addition to other videos that we have. So it really raises the question and something I've been arguing and talk about in my book is that police were the provocateurs yes. that day, not protesters. And you can see this clearly in the video. Which is why, Daniel— That precipitated the violence. In other words, that's exculpatory yes. to the whole notion of an insurrection and the and the pretext of all these 231A3s and the um, obviously the obstructing of official proceeding. It was clearly—if nothing else, it was a Gettysburg, meaning even before we get to you know FBI and what they did and didn't do, just between the Capitol Police, right? I mean, it was just like—it was like a Gettysburg— and not, not even so much even to blame the Capitol Police, although I agree with you, there's problems. But in a trial, how did juries see this evidence and still believe, you know, that this was like some sort of premeditated act to chop Pelosi's head off? Well, because you have a city, as you know, made up of residents who voted 94 percent for Joe Biden. They take the events of January 6th extremely personally, unlike people who live in any other major city or town in America. Um, the, not only during the jury selection process was, you know, just regular national and local news coverage fixated on January 6th. You also had primetime televised performances by the January 6th committee. Think about this, Daniel. During the Oath Keepers' first seditious conspiracy trial, during jury selection, January 6th committee holds a primetime performance where they show video and play audio of two of the people who are on trial at that very same time, mm. just a few blocks away from the U.S. Capitol where these meetings are being held. 
the real villains here, Daniel, and this is something I hope Republicans also follow, the real villains are the judges. They are nothing more, the judges on this D.C. District Court, nothing more than rubber stamps for this DOJ. And so that's why you have these juries. It's not that they have to believe the evidence or not. They don't care. They want these people in prison. They consider them traitors, domestic terrorists, and insurrectionists. That's right. I mean, before you got on, I was talking about the unbelievable thing with Christopher Cooper, this judge, how they're hitting them up on a you know 231A3 charge that was never put up against someone who did a nonviolent act because otherwise you're just basically criminalizing being at a protest and even talking to a cop. Um, and that was the standard since 1976. And, and, and it's like, no, I found the case. Abby Hoffman, a Vietnam War protester, and she was erecting a barricade, which was a little bit more heavy duty than what Barnett was accused of. And then um, in the motion to dismiss, the, the lawyer brings up the fact that in your own cafeteria there, there's an exhibit, you know, paying tribute to that court overturning those <laughs> precedents of the May Day protests um, and right. how, you know, they're grabbed for First Amendment rights, just disorderly conduct. And it like... And, and, and he looked, the judge looked and left, right? Just like, yeah, you know, and but summarily dismissed it orally, didn't respond in writing to that claim. And it's like all legal norms go out the window. We're doing it anyway. Tough luck. Well, what the DOJ, with the court's permission, is doing is carving out special exemptions to the law, whether it's evidence, whether it's pretrial detention, Um, they're not seen as individual defendants. They are a group. Mm. You see this repeatedly used in rulings, especially to keep people behind bars awaiting trial. That's the most egregious. Um, But they are part of what the government says is a mob involved in an act of domestic terror. And you have judges like Chris Cooper and many, uh, basically every judge who's gone along with this. Daniel, you now have these judges know nearly a hundred percent conviction rate, especially on absurd charges like seditious conspiracy. No American has ever been convicted of seditious conspiracy. Now we have six convicted in record time. The last time DOJ tried to charge anyone with seditious conspiracy was a Hooterie tribe in Michigan in 2010. The federal judge laughed it out of court, dismissed the count, And that was the last time DOJ even tried it. Here, not only do you have nearly two dozen defendants facing that charge, which is comparable to treason, these D.C. juries come back and convict them. The last four of these Oath Keepers, they didn't bring weapons into the building. I think they were inside for five minutes. Yet these D.C. jurors come back and convict them of seditious conspiracy? I mean, it just defies any any logic but these judges are the ones who are clearly violating their oaths of office they are to protect the rights of defendants they are to protect their constitutional rights they are to make sure that due process is followed none of that is happening in this dc uh district courthouse it's appalling it is and every day is is sickening so like and, and we were talking about how you'll have statements being used, you know, you know, just political views. They never called for violence, but statements like the worst is like, you know, F Biden or just quoting Thomas Jefferson's uses as pretext to either lock up pretrial to, you know, with sentencing with, with, with something like that, 
Whereas with the BLM guys, you had career criminals. You had they would literally. Um, Andy Noah was reporting the guy, one of the guys in Atlanta just over the weekend. Um, they would praise the one who murdered, um, who attacked the cop. They would literally be promoting violence as they're let out on you know some level of bail. You know whether it's a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, whatever it is, and they posted it. It's you you can't live in a country like this and and this is so it's become very clear we cannot get a fail, fair trial it's become very clear uh the jury you know the judges that this is it so all we have now as a venue is this special committee you know among the broader judiciary and oversight committees but this subcommittee on weaponization of government we have a couple of good members on it um, I want to get, I mean, you're the point on this. I, I consider you the, really the gold standard. What do you think are the most important oversight aspects so that we don't get bogged down either on shiny objects, on rote politics? You know, one of my concerns about the subcommittee and just in general, I want things to be about the betterment of humanity, our life, liberty, mm-hmm. property, COVID fascism, political persecutions for the people not cheap points trump this biden this protect trump's career in this fight biden that i mean if we do a good job we'll expose how terrible and disgusting democrats are but the goal should be the right issues could you tee up for us some of the priorities that you think need to be pushed sure well number one i do think the release of targeted um uh, segments of the surveillance video from the Capitol should be made public. So this is the 14,000 hours some people here, Kevin McCarthy or Matt Gates, talk about. doesn't have to release all of it, but they definitely have to release the portions that will show what happened inside and outside the Capitol starting the morning of January 6th. What will that tell us? It will tell us if the government or other parties had assets planted already inside and outside the building. Mm -hmm. We will see the activity. You know, you had Representative Clay Higgins directly ask Chris Ray last year, did you have Trump supporters disguised, or excuse me, did you have informants disguised as Trump supporters inside the building before it was breached? Chris Ray wouldn't answer the question. And Representative Higgins went back, should be a no. This has nothing to do with an ongoing investigation. Don't give us your sources and methods. It should be a no. He couldn't answer that. So we will see what sort of government assets, staffers, whoever was involved. We will also see what cameras were disabled, which is a big one. We're expected to believe, Daniel, that the U.S. Capitol security system did not have a camera outside the Columbus doors, which was a big point of breach that day on the east side. We're supposed to believe the ceremonial entrance to the Capitol isn't monitored by uh, closed-circuit TV that defies any logic again. Um, We will see exactly. The American people will be shocked to their core to see how police conducted themselves that day. And they will see on both sides, uh, on the east and west side, particularly the west side, how they started throwing these uh, um, munitions and attacked people. Yep. So we, those we, are like, I've seen the videos already. I mean, it literally the violence started after that, and um, and they made a mistake. And it started while Trump was still speaking. By the way, it started like one ten, one fifteen. 
So you had two sets of people. You had people who were just at the Capitol. A lot of people couldn't get close to the Trump stage or rally. They were at the Capitol. You had agitators and provocateurs. We know that. We have informants who were there. We know that for a fact. So they started flashbanging these people at 115. I remember specifically the first time I got a video showing people being flashbanged. Someone sent it to me in April of 2021. I thought it was doctored. I didn't believe it because I had never, I hadn't seen that in the three no. months I'd been covering it. Do, 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 you know what, do you know what type of gas it was? Because this is not the normal riot control. The, right. the, there were cops like 50 feet away that were throwing up from it. Um, we don't, I don't know. Hmm. Um, and it would be good for this committee also to get reports from Capitol Police, which they work for Congress. They're a they're under the purview oh, of the wow. legislative branch. That's a really good point. It's a simple point, but a good one that typically we view them as oversight of the executive branch. But this is even more. This is home field advantage. This is their this is their branch. It is, which is why they cannot be FOIA'd. We have not seen a full trove of documents and correspondence mm. and records of Capitol Police. Judicial Watch started FOIAing them in February of 2021. And they said, oops, sorry, we're part of the legislative branch. We don't have to turn over anything to you. Well, they will, too. They're now paymasters and bosses, House Republicans. D.C. Metro is foyable. They should FOIA all of the body cam footage, regardless of whether it's being used in these sham trials or not. And all the correspondence between D.C. Metro Police, between the FBI, between the Capitol Police Board, between Mayor Muriel Bowser. We need to see all of that, too. Um, but in terms of, of where this heads, Daniel, there needs to be major legislative reforms, whether it is adding political affiliation to anti-discrimination laws, which is something that probably should have been done a long time ago, mm -hmm. um, or major reforms to the Bail Reform Act. And this would be basically you cannot assign instant blame to an entire group. You can't assign that to individual defendants in criminal cases, um, which is something, as I, as I said, uh, has, has been done. And something has to be done with these judges. I mean, they are completely rogue, totally unaccountable. I can't even, I think the last time any federal judge was impeached was like 15 years ago. Um, yes. But, you know, this is a D.C. district court and appellate court working in cahoots with the DOJ, with the media. They are, I call them the circle of hell. Um, and the fact that not one judge has agreed to a change of venue motion yes. uh, tells you a lot about how they're all in cahoots together to ruin the lives of Trump supporters. The, the venue issue has to be, you know, to me with COVID, like if I had to pick, I have 50 different bills. The number one thing would be the liability issue because that's just the force multiplier of everything. With this, I really think it's it's some sort of venue bill to make it that cases like these have to be. So in Richard Barnett's case, it would have been charged in, uh, tried in Arkansas. That's right. And, and, you know, it was funny in the post-verdict uh, uh, press conference with Richard Barnett and Brad Geyer and Joe McBride, the attorneys, um, the jury, I believe, took a whole hour, Daniel, to deliberate numerous serious charges against Richard Barnett. Apparently, they didn't look at body cam footage. I mean, they basically got in that jury room, took out the jury forms. It probably took them just an hour to fill out guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, and that's how quickly it came back. And you had Scott McFarlane, who works for CBS News, 
say, well, what do you mean this isn't, what do you mean this isn't a jury of his peers? <laughs> of course it's not. You know, you have a bunch of smug, biased, um, yep. you know, prejudiced jurors who, who hate people like Richard Barnett. So, of course, it's not a jury of his peers. And the judges know that, and everyone knows it. But they You're don't care because these yeah. are the headlines they need. Right. You're a Nazi, and there's a Nazi statute that says if you're a Nazi, you get 20 years. I mean, that's the way they view it. So details, facts, evidence, and, and law don't matter. This is the scariest thing that is going on. And, and, and that's – so I want to lead this to – at the beginning, and you have expressed frustration a long time that you felt even the conservative Republicans weren't really – you know, taking this seriously enough, there was kind of that iwi factor, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't want to touch yeah. those guys. But by now, That's everyone true. has to realize um, Judge uh, Judge Hogan announced he's retiring and then says, basically, they're coming down with another thousand more cases. I don't want to deal with this for another four or five years. Um, so he lets that cat out of the bag. Um, so they're going to rope in. I mean, you're going to be made to care. Do you have, from what you're hearing, do you do you feel a little bit better about the direction of this committee and, and the GOP house under McCarthy? I do. It's been um, gratifying, not for myself professionally, but mm-hmm. on behalf of the January 6th defendants personally, it's been gratifying to see the trajectory from two years ago when absolutely no Republican would touch my work, talk to <laughs> me, nothing to a year ago where they were like, Ooh, we're hearing a lot from our constituents. They're mad about the political prisoners. What can you tell us to now? Okay. We need details. We need outlines. We need to know exactly where this has to go. Um, Because look, this was driven by the base, Daniel, these Republicans, to your point, the ooh factor, the EU, um, which also is why they won't touch the Whitmer fed napping. And a lot of conservative Yep. Media didn't touch it either. And why they don't like, touch vaccines either, because anti-vax is, an, is another ew factor. Right. Except, of course, as we've always said, it can't be a vaccine. You can't be called a vaccine if it's not a vaccine. So <laughs> you can't be an anti-vaxxer if it's not a vaccine. So I don't know how that works. But um, you and I were in the trenches at the very beginning on that. So, um, But my, my fear now, Daniel, is everyone, to your point, following the shiny object, which is the Biden classified documents. We don't need these committees and every Republican now trying to track this down. Like they need to stay focused. Okay. This committee or this right. But house oversight, house judiciary and weaponization of government. You guys don't all have to be chasing, you know, why DOJ didn't handle this the same way. Of course they did. It's nothing new. (laughs) It's nothing new to the, even the American people. What's happening in the courthouse in Washington, D.C., that is that new, matters. and that is and, what needs and, to be and told. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I know you agree with me. I resented no end when this was going on forever and no one cared, and then they raided Mar-a-Lago, and people were like, could you imagine this happening in America? And I'm like, okay, really? Thank you. You know, it's all about right. the big man. It's Trump and Biden are all that matters. No, Show the American people that you're worried about the betterment of their life and liberty, not just the political scandals, the rote politics. It never works for Republicans anyway. It never sticks on the Democrats. Um, It just doesn't. It doesn't make it right, but it's like that's not where it's at, and I love the fact that you brought that up. Um, I know we're a little bit over time, but there's two quick things I want to get your take on, a specific revelation. So 
You mentioned the two other people likely, at least somewhat directly or indirectly killed by Capitol Police. From the video that I saw, I don't know if it's what's public. I can't keep track anymore. Roseanne Boylan, the fourth person to have died that day, to me, she almost appears to be directly killed by the gas. What do you know about that? So what witness accounts, um, both Philip Anderson, who was in that tunnel area with her, and the man who accompanied Roseanne Boyland uh, along with her to D.C. and to the rally, um, what apparently happened is police, again, against every regulation for any kind of excessive force or use of munitions, spraying this extremely toxic, what you were saying earlier, gas in this enclosed area which caused people also to vomit. Mm -hmm. They couldn't see. They were losing consciousness because they couldn't breathe. Now, of course, the cops all had gas masks on, which is another question we have to find out. You had D.C. Metro Police dressed (laughs) as stormtroopers going to the west side with gas masks, masks on. Well, why? Nothing was, I mean, you had had the initial breach, Those people were scuttled out, but the rest of the people who were showing up weren't doing anything wrong, criminal. Um, So this is what happened in this Western tunnel. So then the cops, after gassing them, basically take their full force of their bodies, riot shields. They push this crowd out of trying to get them out of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Building had been evacuated for two hours, right? But people were trapped in various areas of the Capitol. This is one where they were trapped. Push. They caught, they're trampled, basically. They can't breathe. Now they're on top of each other, suffocated. This is how eyewitnesses believe that Roseanne Boylan actually died, that she was asphyxiated with this gas, then she was basically suffocated. Then you see a police officer, D.C. Metro, as Roseanne Boylan's dying or lifeless body at that point face up, and this cop starts beating her with a baton, either a metal baton known as an asp, or some sort of a device. And protesters are begging for help. They then take her, drag her body, as cops are still attacking protesters, as she's laying there dead, drag her body to in front of what they believe are first responders, asking for help. You see one man, um, Ronald McAbee, who was a sheriff's deputy in Tennessee, administering CPR, and they start screaming at the police. And, and this is in the body cam footage I, I posted last week. You effers, you effing killed her. This is on you. And these cops still keep trying to beat the protesters. Then you see these men. Some of them are law enforcement. Some of them are veterans. And they lose their minds. Yeah. And they start attacking the cops, yes. which the cops deserve. Because you're not law enforcement at that point. You are and, and thugs. Then, and you then are stormtroopers. You're Gestapo. You're Gestapo. And there's video of them then dragging her body too. Right. Um, like and this came up in the Richard Barnett trial. Who's that, that big guy, huge p- Capitol police officer who he testified that Richard Barnett basically saying, I want to go retrieve my flag in Pelosi's there office. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he testified that that was the most traumatic moment of the day. <laughs> right. You remember, remember that for the, for the trial, yeah. the most traumatic, maybe he used the F word at some point. I think he did Richard Barnett. And then, and then the lawyer cross-examined him and said, "Wait, that was the most dramatic thing. Didn't you? Weren't you by Roseanne Boylan's death? Um, they're dragging her body, and, and the scene you just described being crushed with gas. And he had to right. admit it. But I guess that didn't mean anything to the jury. 
it didn't mean anything to the jury. They didn't obviously didn't even care, nor did the prosecutors or anyone else. I mean, this is Terrence Craig. He's a six foot three, big, muscular black guy who used to work in a prison, <laughs> like a prison yard. Where and they Richard Barnett's a small made. guy. He's little, right? But the whole idea that that a couple hours in the Capitol doing, and you you're a cop in one of the most dangerous cities in America. Like if these police officers are so traumatized by what happened for a few hours, you should reti- you should resign. Like go be a mall cop. You, this can't possibly be the worst thing you've seen happen. Or we need to give the them a little bit more BLM in their life <laughs> to to, uh, yeah. to to spice things up. Um, a real quick final thing. I mean, I meant to get to this. The revolver story on Baked Alaska. Uh, that's the guy who is in the video yelling. Um, you know about that Ray Epps is a Fed, and outing him as a Fed. Yeah. They report it turns out they're from both Ray Epps and he, and he is they're from the same town in Arizona, and it turns out that according to Baked Alaska, um, who's now you know what, what sentenced to sixty days, he claims that he was called or emailed by the or both by the FBI the day before. Can you just talk about your feelings on that story and what that means? Just another more unanswered, weird coincidences. Ray Apps also told the January 6th committee that he didn't know who baked it. Well, it was somebody else, I think, that he called and that he met with. But he said he didn't know who baked Alaska was. But then there's video that surfaced that shows them at an event in Arizona in like I think late summer, early fall of 2020. So we're just supposed to believe these two just like pop up together. But he didn't know who um, I can't. I think his last name is Giannat or something like that. Baked Alaska, yeah. his real name. I forget his name. I mean, is there a concern that he's a Fed? I've heard that from some people. <laughs> Daniel, as you can imagine, anytime I post something, people get to me. He's a Fed. I'm like, well, you know, not everyone there could possibly be a no, Fed. I, I don't necessarily think he is. It's just the whole thing's crazy because either that or. Right. I mean, I don't know what benefit they would get from making him a Fed and, 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 and trying to out Ray Epps, but it seems like he's not, and Ray Epps obviously is the Fed. But again, that that story, that that really is something that they need to look at that because that could uh, lead to some sort of conclusion on this theory that the FBI, well, knew about this long before and had ulterior motives. Um, mm-hmm. Look, so again, we're out of time. American Greatness, there's... There's three good columns there on the videos. You guys have to see this. Um, you got to get into this issue. And again, call your members of Congress. Make sure that this is not just about the FBI being political in general or the Trump stuff. No, this is our life, liberty on the line. Anyone who disagrees with them, remember, you have no rights. Thank you, Julie, and thank you all for listening. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 